Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At this point, most shows are winding down. Roy is just getting started. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Earlier this week, I was uh, reading a story on globalnews.ca, and it had to do with a 50-year-old man in um, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, a 65-year-old man in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was being released, the story was out on Tuesday, he was being released on Wednesday after 50 years in prison. He was convicted of a rape that he did not commit. So he spent 50 years of his life in prison for a crime he did not commit. And that would have to be one of the most terrifying realities of life, to be incarcerated for something you didn't do. There are quite a few stories in this country. David Milgard comes to mind. Spent a lot of time speaking with Mrs. Milgard before David's mother. Uh, before he was released. And then subsequently, we talked to David uh, a couple of times on the program. So I got in touch uh, with Wynne Warrer at uh, Innocence Canada, the Innocence Canada Project. It used to be AIDWIC. And they do tremendous work in assisting people who are in prison, who they agree have a case to make that they have been imprisoned wrongly. And uh, Wynne put me in touch with Anthony Hannemeyer. And first she told me a bit about Anthony's story. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrifying because it could happen to anybody. It could, you know, a wrongful conviction and a, a wrongful charge and arrest and then prison could happen to anybody in this country who's innocent. The wrong sets of circumstances and uh, you become the person who is the interest of the justice system, and the justice system is often neither justice nor a system, and, uh, and you become a victim. Anthony Hannemeyer was one of those people. Anthony, thank you for taking the time. You're welcome. So uh, the, 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 the story begins with a 15-year-old who was sexually assaulted in her bedroom in the Toronto area, and uh, her mom walks in, and she confronts the, the would-be rapist, and they stare at each other. And uh, then the the rapist screams and and leaves, runs away, and the mother decides that she's going to become, get involved with investigating what happened to her daughter. And would you pick up the story there? How did you, at that point, how did you become involved? When, when did the focus shift to you? Uh, actually, let me correct you, because it was just charged with break and enter and assault. It was like an attempt to rape. Okay. Um, so it wasn't actual sexual assault. But uh, the cops knocked on my door um, December something, and I don't remember the date. I don't recall that. And they charged me with break enter and assault. Uh, they arrested me. Um, I got released on bail. Um, 
But how did it? How did this? How did the uh, the long arm of the law reach out for you? How did you get involved with it? At what point? I mean, who, what what connected you supposedly with that case? Um, what she did, the mother did, was did it her own investigation. She called around construction companies and asked if they had a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy working in the area. And they happened to call a construction company that I was working for at the time. Well, I actually wasn't working there at the time. I quit. But they came up with my name, and she ran with my name. Because I was the only blonde-haired, blue-eyed, apparently, in that area working. Okay. So she decided she had your name? And she was going to do something with that information. Yes. So she goes um, to the police. Yes. Um, actually, she was dating a police officer at the time, so she's the one that told him about it and um, started the process of, I guess, charging me with uh, this charge. So when the police come to your door, what happens? What do they say to you? How, how, how does it proceed from a knock on your door to the point that you're arrested. Um, knock on the door and they asked me my name and I told them and they said you're under arrest for break enter and assault with a weapon. And I was dumbfounded because I have sure. no idea what they're talking about because I didn't do the charge. And they took me to the Toronto police station and proceeded to charge me with it. and. I was telling them, like, well, you got the wrong guy. Like, it's not me. But no matter how I persisted, they ended up charging me with that charge. We we see quite often, uh, if it's a, a documentary of what goes on in a police station, when someone is brought in and is charged or they, they're contemplating whether they're going to charge, the, the person they're interested in is sitting in a chair in a small room and there's one or two police officers who, uh, I'll use the word badgering, are trying to convince, intimidating, convince this this person that it's in your best interest to confess and do it now. Is that what happened to you? They were trying, uh, yes. Um, They were very persistent, very uh, dominating in that room, Um, very intimidating, Telling me, you know, we know it's you. You might as well just confess to the charge and, you know, save yourself a lot of trouble and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, um, I didn't give in because I'm not charged with it. I didn't do the charge. Um, They ended up charging me with it, and they ended up taking me to Toronto jail. Um, A few days later, um, I got bail. And they still persisted on me taking the charge. So did, did it not enter their minds that maybe they should do a little more investigating to find out whether you might be the guy? Mind. They had it in their mind that it was me, and they weren't looking anywhere else. And all the time you're telling them, hey, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Go find the right guy. Yes. Um, and they're telling even the you date, even the date in question I at the time was married and I was with my ex-wife home that night that didn't matter but it didn't matter how were you feeling how my how was I feeling yeah uh, I was young pretty scared yeah um, to be charged with something like this um, 
Yeah, I was lost. Really afraid. Well, I don't see how you wouldn't, how you, how you couldn't possibly be, because they were talking. I, I don't know. I wasn't there, and I, you and I had a little conversation this morning, but we didn't talk about this. That I'm going to ask you now. They did they uh, did the police kind of dangle the prison sentence or prison prison term in front of you? Yeah, they uh, said something about uh, you could do a lot of time. You're going to end up in federal prison. And you know what they do to people like you in federal prison? Um, they'll destroy you. They don't like people like you, so, yeah. Something else to be scared of or terrified about. Yeah. Did you have, enough. you had a lawyer, right, eventually? Yes. And And how did that work out? The lawyer that I had at the time wasn't doing his job. He also, in his mind, thought I was guilty. He kept telling me to take a plea bargain from day one, and I persisted, no, nah, I'm not taking no plea bargain. Finally, a few times in court, and the mother was convincing, like it was sad that what happened to her daughter, yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Having the wrong person, though, um, my lawyer told me at the time, if you don't take a plea bargain, I can get you two years and if you don't take the plea bargain, you're going to end up with 10, 12, even 14 years in jail. Can't imagine. At the time, at the time I was very scared, and I didn't yeah. want to do that time. So I was caught in a rock and a hard place. So you got a lawyer who's not doing his job. You've got the police who are intimidating. You've got a 10, 12, maybe 14-year prison sentence dangling in, your, in front of you. And yeah. nobody seems to be interested in whether or not you're innocent. And uh, so the Crown comes along and offers you a plea bargain. Yes. Finally, um, because I was in jail for 10 months, dead time while this case or this court process was being processed, I just got fed up and I just said, take the deal. You know, just get it over with because I don't even care no more. You know, whatever. But... Now I look at it, and I look back on it. I should have never done that. When was this, uh, Anthony? What 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 year was this? What's going on? Not sure. It was a prelim, a preliminary hearing at the time. Okay. Um. She took the stand, and. The way I looked at it, everybody was looking at me, looking like I was like a little, I don't know, like I don't even want to say it because I can't say it on the air, but lowest form of a human being. Mm-hmm. And yeah, everybody had me guilty through their eyes. And that that minute, I just said, forget it. Just take my, take my plea then. I didn't want to do 10, 12 years. Yeah. Hold on a second. We're going to come back. I have to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk more with Anthony Hannemeyer. What was life like when he was in prison? And the uh, fellow, his fellow inmates thought that he was uh, somebody who was intent on sexually assaulting a 15-year-old girl in her bedroom. And then we'll talk about how Paul Bernardo enters the picture. Innocent. And the... Uh, the organization is uh, the is Innocence Canada, 
used to be the Association in Defense of the Wrongfully Convicted. Now it's Innocence Canada. And we thank Wynne Warrer for putting us in touch with, with Anthony. We'll come back in a minute. Stay with us. Roy may be a lot of things, but shy isn't one of them. He never backs down from a good debate. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm speaking with uh, Anthony Hannemeyer, who spent time in prison on a plea bargain deal that he felt he had no option but to accept uh, on uh, for a crime he did not commit, which was ultimately committed by serial killer and serial rapist Paul Bernardo. So, so Anthony, uh, you accept the deal, you go to court, and the judge gives you how much time? They gave me two years last a day. And and from there it's straight to straight to prison. Yes. What was that experience like? It was an eye opener. Um, yeah, um, a different world. <laughs> um, yeah, a very different world, um, especially for a charge where I was charged with break enter assault and attempted rape of a fifteen year old. So. You were threatened. Life, life every day in there was pretty much my back against the wall. No, we don't. I mean, how can you? How do you live that way? And particularly when you know you didn't do it. And there's no point in prison saying, "I didn't do it," because everybody's going to say that. Everybody does say it. <laughs> so yeah, it is no point. Um, yeah, I've been in fights in there. So yeah, it was it's something I never ever want to do again. Mm-hmm. How did uh, how did it all change? When did they come to the conclusion, the realization that it wasn't you, and they needed to let you go? And did they uh, apologize? Paul Bernardo was doing some confessions through an interview, and came across the charge that I was charged with, saying how he broke into a house in Scarborough and whatnot and cops asked him a few questions and they he also told them that he stole a license plate that said car car because he wanted it for carla homoka which was key evidence that was never brought to the news or light or any information was leaked so the only person that would know that would be the person who did it mm-hmm. also gave the layout of the house um, everything and described in detail what happened. I was actually working on a roof when um, Edward Sapiano uh, gave me a call and told me about it and told me that Paul Bernardo confessed to it and that I would, was going to be exonerated and or they're going to start the process of exonerating my name. And you, at that point, had done over t- 10 months, and you'd been paroled. Yeah, I did 10 months that time. I got two years less a day. I did eight months of my sentence, and I got parole. What do, what do you want to say about Canada's justice system? You've been, uh, you've been exposed to it in, the, in, a, in a manner which is not supposed to happen, which they assure us does not happen. What needs to be said? 
Uh, the justice system needs to have a very good look looking at. It needs to pull up and actually do their jobs um, and stop putting innocent people away. Um, you know, just because they have a name and a hat, they can't run with it. And that's what it seems to be. As soon as they pull the name out of a hat, they take it and run with it. Like, they had no hard evidence of me even being there. But they, they had your name and they were, as you say, they were running with it and, and you had no choices, no options. Nobody was listening to you. No. Um, the very biggest key evidence that was there was I had long hair and Paul Bernardo had short hair. Um, I still had the long hair when I was in court, so it wasn't cut, nothing. So there was the biggest key evidence there. It's got to be an absolutely total help, totally helpless feeling, totally helpless. It is. You know, that, it, it, you're supposed to have legal representation. You're supposed to have, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. You're not guilty because somebody just, you know, mentioned your name to a, to a, to a police officer from a, from a private parental investigation. Did they, did they compensate you at all? Yeah, they compensated me, um, not as much as I wanted or what we were going for, but it's not even basically really even an apology. It's basically a slap in the face, really. And how are you now? How, how does this, does this uh, follow you around, this situation today? It'll, it'll always follow me around because the biggest key thing, I think, is if somebody sees me and they recognize me, it's not going to be, oh, there's Anthony. It's going to be, oh, there's that guy from Paul Bernardo. So yeah. my name's going to always be linked to that guy. Yeah. I think you're a very brave guy. And I think what you're doing is going to help other people who are in the same position that you're in, or maybe. And maybe it'll make some uh, police officers sit up and take note, and investigators and crown attorneys and lawyers. I think it takes a lot of guts to do what you're doing. Anthony, thank you so much for, for talking to us today and wish you all the very best going forward. Thanks, Roy. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. Anthony Hannemeyer takes a lot of guts. He really does. And he's doing this for all the right reasons, telling his story. I think most people would say, I've had enough. Leave me alone. But he's working with uh, Innocence Canada and, and uh, they do a lot of terrific work. Wow. When we come back, Gord Bibby, don't go away. <laughs>